natural father who makes promises. Lord, we're so uh, relieved when those promises come true and when when the answer is yes and we have a promise from our dad and, and it happens. Um, but Lord, sometimes it doesn't. And uh, I, I think of many times in, in our lives when, when human promises fail, but God, your promises don't. And when you make a promise to us, Lord, you never, you never pull the plug on it, God. You never, at the last minute, back out. Uh, Lord, you never get sidetracked. You never forget a promise that you've made. Uh, Lord, we're so thankful for the cross today. And uh, Lord, you didn't back out of that promise to pay the price for our sins. And we're so grateful and we worship you, God, for you are faithful and for your promises are yes. And, and we say amen. We agree to that. I pray for people who are watching uh, or listening or who will watch, who will listen. And Lord, there's there's something in there in their hearts that they're waiting on you for whatever it may be. It could be a provision of something. It could be a healing of something, whatever it is, uh, God, I pray that they would see you faithful once again. The hymn writer said, great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Lord, help us to recount your faithfulness to us through the ages, God. And uh, we pray that today you would help us to focus upon you as you speak to us through your word we thank you oh god for the band who's come and who's serving today we thank you for this place that we can broadcast out of our own bible college here in the province of quebec and lord we just we just trust in you even in circumstances of pandemic and anxiety we continue to trust in the one who is faithful we pray in jesus name amen Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much to the band. I'm looking, I'm moving to the left a little bit. We're running, running some tech here. I'd like to get a little bit closer to the people, if that's okay. If my camera person can move me a little closer, that would be good. I know this camera likes it real close, okay? 
Looks good? Okay, good. Well, thank you. And welcome, everyone. And again, I want to thank the, the band for coming and supporting. And uh, thank you all for your hearts today. Sometimes, you know, you, you're you half of you, you want one song. The other half, you want one song. And it's, it's kind of going awry there. But I thank you so much for your heart and your servant's heart today. That's what it's all about. It's, you know, it's not about the production. It's about the heart, guys. So thank you so much for that. And uh, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, first Sunday of October 2020, as we are in the so-called Red Zone, broadcasting right here out of Institut Biblique du Québec in the city of Longueuil in the province of Quebec. We're so thankful for our Bible college providing us this space. If you are interested, I'll give them a plug. If you are interested in theological training, accredited, fully accredited theological training, just point your web browser to ibq.ca. It's not on your screen. I'm just giving them a plug, okay, because they're so nice to us. If you're a first-time guest, you're watching this feed for the very, very first time, can you take your smartphone and text the key phrase, reach the one, no spaces, reach the one to 514-900-0130. And I've got a little gift that I want to send you via email because I can't go to your house because we're in the red zone. But I'll send it to you via email and you'll get onto our our uh, electronic list and you'll have access to some other goodies as well stay in touch through our website at citypointchurch.ca slash contact you can uh, get in touch with me and remember everything that we're doing is posted onto our website and facebook pages permanently so you can catch up with previous messages i always preach in series so you can go back and check out the different parts okay uh, pray for our missionaries as well. The Charbonneaux are doing well in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And I would encourage you to check them out online. Now it's so easy to do uh, through Facebook or through uh, their website. Uh, Facebook is Haiti Ministries. Lots of turmoil in Port-au-Prince. It continues with uh, protests against gangs who seem to be uh, supported by the government. And it's, it's just a mess over there. So you want to pray for the Charbonneaux, and uh, they're a large church of about a 1,000 uh, teens and young adults. I was in touch with uh, Don Mann uh, just yesterday, I think it was, and he is doing well, and they continue to develop their Quest Leadership uh, program and the content that's going to go to many different countries around the world. What a time uh, it is for leaders to be trained in integrity and to be trained in, um, in honesty and so they're developing all of this and uh, going to take it to different countries. Uh, pray for Don as he continues his, his health journey. Uh, but they are doing well, okay? Uh, things have changed, obviously, because of the announcement from the province that was uh, broadcast on Monday. And we will not be meeting at Cineplex on the 18th of October as originally planned. Uh, but we'll wait and see, as they say, uh, stay tuned so you can continue to watch us online. Uh, we're not stopping, and um, we'll see what happens and when the cinema reopens, but they are closed, closed, closed for the time being as we are in the red zone. Thank you for your contribution, your support. Uh, this is month number whatever, six plus. And uh, we continue to depend on you to run the church. And basically, the bills stay pretty well the same. It's nice not to have to pay rent, of course, but everything else is running. 
So uh, please continue to give. Uh, some of you, you, you mail it. A lot of you are giving electronically. You can do so through PayPal, which is on our website. We have a portal to PayPal there. Or an e-transfer, uh, which many of you are doing as well. Okay, We are uh, continuing our series called Dear Churches. And this is out of the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, the Bible's New Testament, the craziest book in the Bible, the one that people wonder, what's he talking about? Uh, I always say, if if somebody were to use all this fancy CGI technology and uh, do uh, some type of digital movie with a literal rendering of all the crazy imagery in the book of Revelation, I don't know what people, if people would wonder what hit them. I just lost the mic. No, we're back. We're okay? Coming through okay for the folks online? Okay, just give me a heads up and make sure we're okay. Good, good, good. I shouldn't touch things so much. But anyway, we're uh, first three chapters only of the book of Revelation. This is Jesus speaking to seven different uh, churches. As I've been saying week after week, you must understand what you're reading in the book of Revelation. This is three kinds of literature fused together. That's what makes it so bizarre. You have an apocalypse, which is like an unveiling of something. Uh, you know, an eclipse blocks something. An apocalypse unveils something. Apocalyptic literature came to be known as literature about the end of the world. This is clearly like that. I've stood in front of some apocalyptic uh, literature in museums, uh, and it's fascinating to read. Revelation is a piece of literature like that, but it's also prophecy, claims to be talking about the future, and it's also epistle, which means that it was sent to different places to be read, to be interpreted, to be understood. And we know the places. Uh, well, we got a big screen over here, but you got a screen on your television, okay? So these are seven churches in uh, the province of Asia, as it was in the first century. And we are on church number, I'll look at the big screen, we're on church number four, uh, Thyatira, okay? And um, uh, Thyatira is an interesting town um, because we know very little about it. It's also interesting because at that time, in that part of the world, it was very insignificant. And uh, this is the longest address that Jesus has for any of these seven churches in the province of Asia, but it is the least important city. <laughs> it's the most, it, he spends the most time on it, he talks the most to them. Uh, it is the most graphic. The warning that is in this little address to the church in Thyatira is extremely graphic. It is actually somewhat difficult to read because all kinds of questions flood into your mind as you read the description uh, that Jesus has of this city and what he is concerned about with this city. But it's interesting that it's a very insignificant city. Uh, we know almost nothing about it except that there were a lot of trade guilds in the city. Uh, and uh, there's an archaeologist by the name of William Ramsey, uh, one of the most famous New Testament uh, scholars, well, really archaeologists uh, of the last uh, century. And uh, Ramsey found a whole bunch of inscriptions there of the different um, guilds or sort of um, trades that trafficked in and out of Thyatira, wool workers, linen workers, makers of outer garments, dyers, so the dyed clothing, 
leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, slave dealers, and bronze smiths. So you had a whole sort of coagulation of all these different trades happening in the city of Thyatira, and that's pretty well all that we can find in terms of the rocks, so to speak, as to what was going on in that town, but very busy with all those different trades. We don't see th that many of those kinds of trades in the other seven cities, but in this one we do, and yet it was a very uh, insignificant city compared to the rest of them. And yet uh, Jesus spends the most time on them and has the most uh, uh, strict uh, and graphic warning uh, to them. So I'm going to read the passage here from Revelation chapter 2, and this is verse uh, starting at verse 18, all right? Just hold on. I know as soon as I read it, you're going to go, what? But just hold on to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? And that word angel can also be translated messenger, depending on what, what version you have. It might say messenger there. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are doing more now than you did at first. That sounds really good. I mean, if it stopped there, that would be that would be really good. The problem is it doesn't stop there. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Woo. You made it through those verses. We continue. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you, only hold on to what you have until I come to him who overcomes. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery out of Psalm 2 in the Old Testament. 
Just as I have received authority from the Father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church in Thyatira, what an incredible rebuke they had uh, that Jesus had of this church. Again, uh, the longest and most graphic statements the least important city, the one with all of these trades going on. I want to talk to you about the Red Zone Church today, uh, playing on the idea, of course, that we are now in the Red Zone. Well, this church was in the Red Zone in a different way, not because of a pandemic of the body, but maybe a pandemic of the soul. And uh, there's quite a problem that's happening in this church, even though you have some positives going on, you have a very, very big negative. And uh, here's some observations for you. Uh, first and foremost, this church, really, if you survey history, if you survey the human condition today, uh, I have the privilege of doing that as a pastor of constantly watching people and constantly interacting with people and dealing with people and all kinds of things in their lives. This church is not uh, uncommon. It, it, it happens in individual lives as well, what's going on in this church, and I'll call it the dual life problem. Here you have on the one side, you've got love and faith and service and perseverance, I mean, a lot of good things mentioned there really, really quickly by Jesus. Fortunately, he usually starts his addresses to these churches with praise and with the things that they're doing well, and then he gets into the things that he, they are not doing well. Uh, that's a good tip for you <laughs> if you lead people. It's always good to start with the good <laughs> if you're going to get into the bad, and Jesus does that. But look at the right side of your screen. These, this church has a major, major sort of double life problem. Well, on the one hand, they're able to sustain love and faith and, and service and perseverance. On the other hand, they're tolerant of the, uh, a toxicity that's like, I mean, this is so graphically described. They tolerate, we're told, that woman Jezebel. Now, just we'll just stop there for a few minutes. This is a very confusing passage of Scripture because scholars wonder what's being referred to here. Is this an actual person? Uh, it seems to be. But on the other hand, no one in their right mind would name their daughter Jezebel, especially in a, in a Jewish culture. So maybe this isn't a church that has much Judaism in the background. We don't know because we know this name Jezebel from the history of the Old Testament. You are talking about one of the most notorious sort of villainous characters in the Old Testament. Even today in, in popular culture, when this name is used, Jezebel, it's a kind of a bad girl term. I mean, I don't think anybody who's watching or listening has ever toyed with the idea of naming your daughter Jezebel, right? It's usually referred to 
in a negative way this name because Jezebel, in the Old Testament at least, has quite a reputation. If you survey the books of Kings, you're going to see a woman, while loyal to her husband Ahab, uh, Ahab was perhaps the most ungodly king of Israel when you had a divided nation there. He was king uh, in the north of Israel, and he was one of the most ungodly kings ever. And when he married Jezebel, who was not a Jew, she's from Phoenicia, she introduced the worship of Baal. And Ahab, of course, adopted that into the kingdom, and you had the worship of this god Baal. But also, Jezebel is famous for doing anything possible for uh, her husband to remain in strict power and in strict control. Uh, one of the things that she did was to run around and execute prophets of Jehovah. So she would uh, track them down and have them executed. Uh, and, and she would do other things as well, again, loyal to her husband, but didn't really care about anybody else's life. And uh, so we see uh, Elijah and Elisha uh, dealing uh, with her. You, you see a, a confrontation uh, with the prophets of Baal and uh, uh, who is it? I think it's Elijah. I have to go back and check. It's Elijah, right? You're helping me. And Elijah, uh, after he after he wins this incredible victory, uh, she threatens his life because she's a prophet killer. That's her reputation. And uh, and Elijah is actually afraid of her and runs for his life. So she had this notorious uh, bad girl reputation. And here you have this mention of this person in the church in Thyatira. You know, this is hundreds and hundreds of years later. And she's got this name. Jezebel. Is it a real person? Does it represent a group of people who were adhering to this strange teaching? Uh, we're not sure. One thing we are sure of is that this church tolerated this woman. And it's interesting because if you look at the church in Ephesus, for example, you see that Jesus praises that church in Revelation 2. And verse 2, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. Now, again, this is within the church, that particular church culture. Same here as in Thyatira. So this is inside the church. This church was tolerant of this woman, Jezebel. And she calls herself a prophet. Um and so she's professing, it seems, to be a believer. And what she does is she misleads, she deceives people in the church, not the whole church, but certainly a section that was big enough for Jesus to address. We don't know how big this church was at all. It was probably small. But he certainly has an issue with the fact that they have tolerated this stuff that's going on. And this teaching, uh, by this teaching, they would do two things. They would eat food that was sacrificed to idols, and they would be involved in sexual 
immorality, uh, uh, blatant sexual sin. Now, back in that time, when people were coming out of paganism, uh, they would sometimes come out of a type of paganism where they were worshiping whatever god, and this involved idolatry, this involved eating of certain kinds of foods, but they would also intermingle sexual activity with that worship. It's quite gross. Uh, we know of uh, temple prostitution and this type of thing in, in some of those settings, and it's really quite sordid, uh, but Jesus is addressing this head-on, uh, and this woman is the one who brought it in, or maybe it's a group of people represented by this name, we're not sure, but this is what's happening, and it's happening inside the church. Note the phrase, she calls herself a prophetess. Just an aside, okay, you get this for free. Uh, I'm very nervous, and you should be too, of people who profess to be prophets, uh, when someone calls themselves a prophet and runs around and says, I am the prophet, listen to me, you should be very nervous and you should be very careful. Your little lights doo -doo 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 should go on and you should be very um, discerning of what that person says and what that person does. Prophets in the Bible do not call themselves prophets. God calls them prophets. And the people around recognize, obviously, there's a call of God on this person's life to be a prophet. Most prophets did not do well in the, in the Bible. They were persecuted. They were maligned. They were executed because their messages were not popular. So be very careful when you run into someone who calls themselves, who self-professes to be a prophet. True prophets never do that in the Bible. In any case, this church had this double life going on. On the one side, you've got this love, faith, service, perseverance. On the other side, you've got like this dark side happening. And the same is true today. I can tell you after two decades of ministry, uh, the same is true today. And I have sat with, uh, we'll, we'll spend some time on this whole thing of, uh, of immorality of a sexual nature today. Uh, I have spent quite a proportionally large amount of time with people caught up in this sort of thing. I have seen all kinds of affairs. I've seen people hooked on porn, both male and female, all kinds of really crazy stuff. And I can't really mention any of the situations just to protect the people uh, who have been involved in those things uh, because some of the people who are watching, listening, if I describe a situation, you might guess and say, oh, I think I know who that person is. Uh, so I'm going to be very careful, but I have seen a lot of it. And one common thing that I have seen in churches is this very same double life thing, this same dual life thing. For some reason, we are able to put our sort of church presentation in one box, and we're able to put our dark side in another box. And we, we go to each box as we feel. And a, a lot of times, people who are involved in this type of thing, uh, you know, fast forward into the 21st century, of course, they look so fantastic in their whole church culture. I mean, they look like, like people respect them, people love them, people appreciate them, they're very popular at times, and yet they've got this thing that nobody knows about, at least for a while, and then it comes to the surface. 
and it explodes and people are shocked and they could say they'll say how could this person live this way for this length of time and yet put on this persona in front of their whole church culture uh, and yet they have this going on I have seen that over and over and over again. You survey just about every one of the of the public moral failures of Christian leaders, which the press loves to capitalize on. Whenever they see a Christian uh, fall or a leader in a Christian context fall, oh, they just love to just just hammer that into the the uh, the person's life. You know, it's like it just destroys the person's life. Um, but what do you see? You see this kind of parallel thing going on and it's this dual life problem and this church had it and they had it especially with this blatant sexual sin that Jesus addresses front and center head on with this graphic graphic warning so what I want to do with this today um, is is talk to you uh, you who, who are on the other side of this camera and your life is in the immoral red zone. It may be immorality of a of a sexual nature. As I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, this is not uncommon in evangelical churches. Uh, the stats, the most recent stats that I've seen, are one out of two uh, men who attend church are watching porn and have an issue with porn. Um, I have seen that to be more or less a true statistic in my own 20 years of ministry. Um, and now, of course, you have a pandemic situation going into whatever it is, six, seven months plus. It's probably going to go longer. And what does this do? This puts pressure on people. This puts pressure on marriages. It puts pressure on relationships. And what are we seeing? We're seeing uh, fracture happen in marriage we're seeing uh the searches for porn on the internet are through the roof coincidentally or not with the timing of this pandemic maybe your life has entered into a moral or an immoral i should say red zone and you're you're running red lights my friend and you're running them and running them and running them and you can't stop running them and you know you can't stop it stop running them Maybe you uh, uh, who are watching or listening, you're thinking of someone today and you're saying, I have to do something to help this person because they're, they're, they're running red lights. Their, their life is out of control and I see a train wreck happening. Take, take your, your, your finger and press share, okay? Forward this to somebody else. As I've said, while we're doing everything online, you press share or you press watch party, you are literally inviting a person to hear the gospel message, okay? And you don't even have to talk to them. You just take your finger, press the button, okay? It's even more effective sometimes than you talking to them. Just let God do what God has to do. Share, share, share. If your life is going into the immoral red zone, I've got a few things to tell you from this passage that may help you, okay? Number one, um, understand the standard that God has. Understand his standard, all right? So Revelation chapter 2, again, verses 21 to 23. 
I have given her time to repent of what? Her immorality. But she is unable? No. But she is ignorant? No. But she is unwilling. There is a gross moral failure that is happening and you have a person or a group of people and they are unwilling to repent. We'll get into repentance in a moment, but it is an immoral situation. So God is sounding the alarm bell here. Jesus is ringing the bell. He's put them in the red zone. This is immoral. It is a violation of the standard of God. And you see this warning. I will cast her on a bed of suffering. Those who commit adultery with her will suffer. Her children are going to lose their lives. Are we to take that literally? Is this figurative? Regardless, it's very strong. Then all the churches will know I am he who searches hearts and minds. Clearly, a line has been crossed. A standard has been violated. So much so that judgment is coming. And it's not like this Jezebel didn't have any time. Jesus apparently has given her time, but she is unwilling. It is blatant. It is willful. And it is red. If you are in that zone, you've got to understand that God wants to ring your bell. He doesn't want to coddle you. He doesn't want to say, oh, boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. No, he wants to ring your bell. He wants to get your attention because he wants to save your life. He's going to ring your bell. Bell. I see, uh, as I'm speaking, I see some, some plugs where you can plug things into the wall here. When a little child goes up to a wall plug that's exposed and starts playing around with it and wants to put their finger into it, what does the parent do? The parent is going to ring that child's bell. <laughs> They're not going to say, oh, it's okay. You, you, you'll see when you put your finger in, you're going to, you know, you're going to get a shock. No, the child's going to, uh, the parent's going to run over there and grab that kid and ring that kid's bell and tell that child, you do not put your finger in that socket. It's very, very dangerous. Or maybe they'll plug the socket with something to prevent the child from doing it while they're not looking. But the point is, they're going to ring that bell. And here, Jesus is ringing the bell of this church in Thyatira. And you happen to see, if you, if you survey the scripture uh, on this subject in particular of immorality of a sexual nature, you are going to see the exact same thing, my friends, from Genesis to Revelation, for whatever reason, when it comes to this particular thing, the, the, the warnings and the judgments of God are extremely strict and extremely in your face and extremely graphic. Um, I think of the of the m one of the most popular stories or most known stories, and that is David's affair 
with Bathsheba and the resultant murder of her husband uh, to try and conceal it and so on. And what was the judgment of God in King David's life? He took that child, that firstborn child from Bathsheba. He took that child. Eventually, uh, uh, she would conceive again, and the child would be the builder of the first temple, uh, Solomon. But you see the judgment of God in David's life. We say, oh, that's so harsh, that's so mean. Well, David's a king, and it, it, we see this in Scripture. Leaders, leaders are judged more strictly, but when we see um, immorality of a sexual nature, God deals with it head on. Throughout the scripture, we see this uh, to the Ephesian church, which is addressed in the book of Revelation. Paul wrote this. You talk about God's standard. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people so the standard for the follower of jesus is very very clear not even a hint not even a hint means not even a hint it means not even a little bit of salt and pepper uh i'm i'm amazed when i when i uh, talk to to christians and this i've seen more with christian men but i've seen it with christian women as well the amount of garbage that we are consuming. I mean, y y we're watching things on the, on the television screen. We're reading things. We're consuming media. And it's got more than a hint of sexual immorality. It's got more than a hint of impurity. It's got more than a hint of greed. And we just sort of fluff it off. Yeah, yeah, poo-poo, you know, I look but don't touch. And, you know, we rationalize it. Well, look at the standard that God has for this thing. It is extremely clear. It is very clearly described. And this is not the only place in the book of Ephesians where God's standard in this area is clearly mentioned. And I know some of you, you're thinking about LGBTQ and you're saying, well, you know, this is a terrible place that we live in. And, you know, we have all these problems in the same sex marriage and LGBTQ. Listen. Don't make excuses. If your life is in a red zone, don't talk to me about LGBTQ people. Look at your own life. Look at your own red zone. Look at your own problems before you start, uh, uh, you know, decrying the perils of LGBTQ. If you want to hear a full treatment of, of LGBTQ, I did a full message on it uh, last year, November 10th. Go look it up on our Facebook page. It's there. The audio is on our website as well. Here, we've got a situation in the church where these people are tolerating this, and there is a standard that is clearly being violated. Think of it this way. You are putting your finger in that socket, and you're trying to run the red light to see if you can keep running it, to see if you won't get damaged, to see if you won't get burned, to see if you won't get shocked. There is an obvious pleasure through whatever your extreme immorality may be, but you're running that red light over and over and over again. Understand you are violating the standard of God. 
and you're doing it over and over and over again. Number two, repentance starts in the mind. Repentance starts in the mind. He's given her time to repent. I, w I have given her time, he says, verse 22, unless they repent, I will cause them to suffer immensely, those who commit adultery with her. So repentance is mentioned more than once here. And we have a problem in that we don't fully understand, oftentimes at least, what repentance really is. Typically, we describe repentance as a change of behavior. If a person repents, their behavior changes, and that certainly is true. But repentance starts not with change of behavior. It starts with a change of mind, and that's what the word means. It, your heart, your mind, the way you view a particular behavior changes, and when your view changes, your actions will follow suit. You see, religion will tell you a sort of a form of repentance. You're doing one thing, stop it. <laughs> stop and do something else. Don't do this, do that. That's religion. Stop smoking, stop cussing, stop doing this, stop doing this, and do this. Great, that's religion. Is it working for you? Likely not. Because repentance involves a change up here before a change in what you do and how you behave. You, if your view of your sin changes, your actions are going to follow suit. And repentance in a biblical sense is when you, you, you I, I phrase it this way, you start getting sick of your sin. Uh, I've seen it in cases uh, uh, again, talking about sexual immorality where the person actually wants to get caught and they, they're, they're tired of running red lights. They're tired, you know, of cheating on their spouse. They're tired of, of, of all this kind of stuff and they actually get careless and they, they sort of stop covering their tracks intentionally because they want to get caught. They've gotten sick of it, but they can't stop it. And any kind of blatant sin is like that. You're so engaged in it that it has you. You don't have it anymore. It has control over you and over your life, and you can't. Uh, it's almost like smoking. Um, you know, I've seen some Christians, they get all upset uh, when a smoker comes into the church. <laughs> People who smoke know that smoking <laughs> is bad for them. People who smoke know that. You know how hard it is to quit smoking? Okay, we have a, a there's a there's a, a bodybuilder in our church, and uh, I'm uh, through this camera. I see him. Okay, I'm trying not to smile, and he's smiling at me right now. And he got into bodybuilding to deal with a smoking habit. That's how hard he had to work to deal with it. Totally transformed his his life and competed at the elite level. Won several uh, competitions in this nation. Uh, but that's how hard it is. And when you're in, uh, that's an illustration. When a person is involved in something um, that, that's not, you know, you're physically addicted to something, but your soul is addicted to sin, it has you. You don't have it anymore. It has you. It starts over here. When you start getting sick of it, then you'll realize, I have to change. If I get caught, I get caught. 
but change has to happen. Uh, someone has said, when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, that's when we change. <laughs> there's, there's definitely some truth to that statement. When you get sick of it, that means there's repentance that's starting to grow in your soul. See, and what God does is he sees that, and he sees that you're getting sick of your sin, and he wants to help you to deal with it because when you start changing, you've got to turn to something, and the something you turn to is someone, and that's Jesus, and he can set you free from your sin no matter how bad it is. He can set you free from that, whatever it is. And uh, thirdly, um, there has to be, a, I'll call it aggressive intentionality when it comes to sin. Again, God rings a bell. And this is what prophets used to do. In the Old Testament, they would ring the bell of the nation and they would warn Israel over and over and over again, much like Jesus is doing here in the book of Revelation, warning them, warning them, you, you're amiss in this area. And, and the prophets would challenge them and ring their bell. And this is the way God looks at it because there has to be an aggressive intention if you want to deal with your immoral red zone. It's not, well, you know, uh, this will go away or I can ignore it or I can hide it or, you know, the classic statement, no, no, I don't have a problem with it. You know, you, you use drugs six times a day. Oh, I don't have a problem with it. It's under control. You know, you, you, you're, you're an alcoholic, sir. No, no, no. I just, I'm a casual drinker. Well, you know, you're addicted to porn. Like you're having affairs. You're cheating on your wife. Well, you know, everyone does it. No, there's an aggressive intentionality if you really want to get serious about sin. And we see this in... Um, uh, Matthew's gospel, I'll flip over there, and this is again from the mouth of Jesus. I know we love to think of Jesus in the gospels as this super nice kind of pale-faced guy with a halo over his head who's always nice and smiling and gentle and all this kind of stuff. He's also very direct here um, in the Beatitudes. Look what he says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. This happens to do with immorality of the sexual nature. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yikes. This is a difficult <laughs> verse to read, right? Because what the mind has already, in a sense, committed the act. The actions may or may not follow suit, uh, but the mind has already committed the act is what he's saying. Now, look at the aggression here. Look at the intentionality. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. What? Now, some people have taken this literally. There are actually people who have done that. He's not speaking in a literal sense, but he's talking about an aggression. He's talking about being intentional. Gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Gehenna, the word being used there, this garbage dump outside of Jerusalem that was always on fire. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. 
and throw it away. So gouge and cut. This is an aggressive intentionality when you're dealing with sin. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into Gehenna. Ooh, I mean, that's not, <laughs> that's not pleasant to hear, but that's what the doctor orders when you're dealing with this kind of stuff and you're in an immoral red zone. Gouge and cut it out of your life. And God, by his spirit, is going to help you to do that. But you have to be willing to take the first step toward him in order to get your life back and get your life under control. And finally, uh, before we get into communion uh, this morning, I want to talk about the love and the judgment of Jesus. And this will bring us into communion. You see in verse 18 here, of Revelation chapter 2. These are the words of the Son of God. Interesting. To the most insignificant city, he spends the most time, um, he, he gives the most graphic warning, and he introduces himself as the Son of God. This is the only time in the book of Revelation where Jesus uh, is mentioned as being the Son of God. One time. And he says it first person. He talks about himself, introduces himself in this way. And uh, toward the end of the address here, he says oh, uh, to the people who have not gotten involved in this nonsense with this, this, uh, this Jezebel woman or teaching or whatever, to the people who have not, he says only hold on to what you have until I come. Really? So when you, when you put together the gospel story, Jesus is, is clearly portrayed as the Son of God. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, writings of Paul, Peter, John, Jude, book of Hebrews, book of Revelation. He is the Son of God. What does that mean to the people who heard that? He is making himself equal to God. He is of the same stuff that God is, the same essence. Whatever God is, Jesus is. Uh, it, he, he, he is the son of God in their brains. They're thinking, wh who's, what's he saying? What kind of claim is that? He's making himself out to be equal with God. And what does Jesus do as the Son of God? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That's Jesus. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. How did he give the Son of God? The ultimate expression is on the cross. Jesus goes to the cross and pays a sin debt on our behalf to satisfy the justice of God against our sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. You see the love of God and the judgment of God. When Jesus was executed on the cross, it was the judgment against sin 
paid once and for all. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's a Greek expression that meant paid in full. It's an economic term he's using. And he's saying there, the sin debt has now been paid because I have paid it on behalf of humanity. The love of God uh, and the love of Jesus and the judgment of Jesus are in perfect display on the cross. Some people say, Jesus died for my sin, and they don't know what they're saying. They've gotten so used to it and so inoculated that Jesus died for my sin, Jesus died for my sin. Yes, he did. But what that meant is, it should have been you. <laughs> it should have been me. If we get what we deserve for our sin, what we deserve, what I deserve, is eternal separation from God. Eternal death is what we deserve. And yet God pours out that punishment on Jesus on that cross. Fully God, fully man, fully dead on that cross. And risen from the dead to show his deity to show his triumph over sin, to show us the way to himself. This is the love and the judgment of Jesus. We see it on display here in this church in Thyatira. Lest we get very disturbed by some of the graphic nature of the warning, we've got to understand God loves and God also judges. Uh, we had a fantastic conversation in our Alpha course on Wednesday night about this. As some people in that, in that course are learning for the first time what the cross is all about and what Christianity is all about. It is fascinating uh, to watch and to see God work in our lives as we explore these things. So uh, just for the next few minutes as we, as we get ready to close uh, the service. We're going to have a time of communion. There'll be some music that's going to play in the background. Got a little slide on your screen there. And uh, I want you to go ahead and get ready and get your emblems. You just need some type of juice or it can even be water um, and uh, uh, some bread or a, a wafer of some sort, whatever you can find. Uh, but I want you to do that and uh, and get ready with your emblems. Uh, hopefully we can get that music going. This will be Sean's rendition of the blessing. Okay, well, I'll get it going in a minute. We'll put the slide on the screen, and uh, we'll come back and visit in a couple of minutes and, and partake of communion together. God bless you.
Okay, hopefully you got your emblems ready there and uh, often asked about children and can children partake of communion? Absolutely. And you as parents, you should teach them uh, what communion is, is all about. And we do this uh, just about once a month, excuse me, in our church. And I think it's really fitting to do today, even though you have this very graphic passage. Uh, we do see uh, uh, a way to talk about the cross, the empty tomb, and ultimately the coming of the Lord here when we deal with his church in Thyatira. Um, and so we have, I have a little piece of bread here. Uh, and some juice here and some of the team here as well is going to partake as well and uh, from the book of first corinthians this is paul writing to the church in corinth and he talks about this and he he repeats the meaning of this to this church who had kind of kind of fallen astray in their understanding and there were divisions in the church and so on and he says this for i received from the lord what i also passed on to you the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And the idea here is that this little piece of bread that we hold in our hands 2,000 years later, this represents the actual body of Jesus that hung on that cross, but it also represents us, the body of Christ. And that church had gotten away from that understanding. They were mistreating one another. And this is why Paul reminds them, listen, when you partake of this, you, you need to be right with your brother and your sister in Christ. And you, you're remembering Jesus's very death on that cross and that body that hung there as an atonement for our sin, to set us free from our sin, to forgive us of our sin. Let's partake of the bread together. And Paul continues, verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes remember he told the church in Thyatira hold on until I come when we have this simple juice what are we saying Jesus died we acknowledge this we are proclaiming it and we are believing that he will come again this is the new covenant in my blood Jesus said uh, a new heart he wants to give to us he wants to pour out his spirit into our lives that we could live lives that are free from the power of sin. That's, the, that's what the blood of Jesus did for us. And uh, so let's partake together as we remember.
Would you pray with me as we close the service today? God, we are so thankful and we praise you and we worship you today, even in a, even in a, a, uh, an address of correction and rebuke and warning uh, from Jesus to a church 2,000 years ago, a church that no longer exists. We can see something relevant for our lives. So God, I pray for each person who, who's watching, listening, uh, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would just impress upon us that you would speak freshly to us, that your spirit would search our hearts and search our minds and see if there be any wicked way in us, God. We do not want to put our finger in that light switch. Lord, we don't want to trifle with sin, but we want to live lives that are pleasing to you. So give us the strength to do that, Lord. And I pray you would set people free if there are those who are listening, watching. And there's a red zone that has taken over. God, that by your Spirit's power, you would set them free. For there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if we will just wake up, if we will just turn and see that you are calling out to us, God, and that you love us with an everlasting love demonstrated through the cross and the empty tomb. God, we worship you and we praise you today. Uh, take our lives afresh. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you today. In. We'll hold that mic. Thank you so much for tuning in and, uh, and staying with us. Remember to hit that share button. And I look forward to being with you again next week right here from Institute Biblique du Québec, Sunday morning at 10.15. Until then, God bless you, everyone.